Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here, and today, the H1B Guy Live with Daniel Goldman, co-founder and executive director of Open Avenues. Today, we're going to cover H1B alternatives for global talent looking to work in the U.S. under an H1B visa. Before we get started, though, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. By perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. And by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Well, it's a little after 2 p.m. Eastern here on the East Coast, May 3rd, 2023. And I have the privilege to be joined by Daniel Goldman, as I mentioned, um, Executive Director for Open Avenues. Uh, Danielle and I share a couple of mutual acquaintances, and we had the chance to catch up a few weeks ago with really rumors of the number of registrations for the H-1B lottery was circulating. And of course, that data came out here late Friday and a um, lot of conversations around what is going on and, and why with the H-1B lottery. But really wanted to take some time here this afternoon because what Open Avenues does is very interesting to me. Um, as I mentioned, alternatives, I think another key word here is is options, um, what I'd call options for global talent. And, and that's really why I wanted to have Danielle on this afternoon. Um, she wanted to come on and, and tell you as well. So Danielle, how you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. This conversation could not come at a more perfect time, having received that data on Friday from USCIS. It's crazy. I, um, I, I caught some wind of it being released through a comment on on my YouTube channel here because really as of midday I had not seen that post and someone let me know and yeah. um the subsequent tweet that I put out shortly after literally like 50,000 impressions or something like that so that tells you um talent is interested in the H1B lottery yeah. the H1B visa continues um to be very much in demand and the value overall of an H-1B visa continues to remain historically high. Um, so Danielle, if you can tell me and the audience, those of us who may have never heard of Open Avenues, what is Open Avenues and a little bit about what Open Avenues accomplishes? Yeah, absolutely. So Open Avenues is a nonprofit and we are offering global talent, a unique work visa solution in the United States. We try to create career pathways for highly talented and skilled foreign nationals who are founders or employees at mid to, at, at mid to large companies around the United States. 
an option to continue to work and contribute here in the U.S. Um, we're a nonprofit partnered with universities, and that means that we qualify as a cap-exempt employer and can sponsor H-1Bs throughout the year at any time. And we have built a model over the past five years that enables us to create these pathways to get cap-exempt H-1Bs for foreign nationals here in the U.S. and enables them to continue to work for their full-time employers as well. And during all of that, contribute to train the future U.S. workforce at our partner college and universities. So five years ago, went from an idea or a concept. So how does Danielle get into immigration? How did that happen? So my father actually is an immigration attorney. His name is Jeff Goldman, and he he has been an immigration attorney for 30 plus years. So for my life, I spent hearing stories at the dinner table about the foreign nationals that he was helping, the scientists who were working on cancer therapies, and the mechanical engineers developing new robotics that were going to change the future of, of manufacturing in the United States. And mm -hmm. those were the stories I heard. And I also heard about the barriers. Uh, as many daughters do, try to stray away from what parents actually go into for careers. So I didn't go into immigration right away. I became a strategy consultant in New York City. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, I came together with my father around this awesome concept of cap-exempt H-1Bs and what we could achieve if we started a nonprofit affiliated with universities and the pathways we could open for individuals who are going to really change the future of this country and potentially the world. And that's who we're trying to help. Yeah, it's interesting because most of the time here on this channel, I've really spent dedicated to non-exempt, right? For-profit employers. Um, but I'm always asked, like, is cap exempt an option for me? Like, what are my options if if I'm looking to go, um, you know, outside of, of the lottery? Are there other options? And I always come back to, well, you know, not-for-profit research institutions, universities, um, and certain government entities. And the thing on the, the government entities is it still is about research right basic or applied research and i think the interesting thing for me when we start to look at a lot of what is put out there um, about options for folks on h1b cap exempt always seems to be something that comes up and this concept of concurrent h1b is another thing that that comes up a lot i wanted to to, to shift a little bit and ask you you mentioned about individuals being in the U.S. Is that your target demographic? Is it somebody that's already living and working in the U.S. that maybe is 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 gainfully employed? Um, can you talk a little bit about who is your target demographic here? Yeah. So for the Open Avenues program, which is called the Global Talent Fellowship, we offer part-time employment opportunities to foreign nationals who have an employer, a U.S. employer that wants to either keep them working in the US mm -hmm. or bring the, them from abroad to work in the US for the US entity. Mm -hmm. So the requirement, whether you're inside the US or outside the US, is that you have this US employer. 
-hmm. The most common scenario is that we see individuals who are on OPT, the OPT is expiring and they're working at, a, at an employer that really wants to retain them. Uh, another common scenario is an individual is a founder of a company and the mm. US entity and they want to stay and build the company in the US. And the third most common scenario is an individual is a contractor abroad working for a U.S. entity and that U.S. entity really wants to bring them. They, you know, the individuals demonstrated their value. They've been working outside of the United States for a while, but the hours are difficult to maintain and the company wants to bring them to the United States. Mm -hmm. And that's when companies will contact Open Avenues and nominate a candidate for our fellowship program. Interesting. It's it's really interesting because over the last couple of years, I've been talking about this concept of global parking because of, of visa challenges. Two of the sponsors here on this platform, Sandesis Path Canada, Mob Squad, they specialize in relocating talent to Canada. I have a really good friend who has a presence in Puerto Rico. They're seeing a large um, growth of, of folks that are, are near shore from, from Puerto Rico. But the thing that I, I found very interesting from what you just said is that if you are outside of the U.S. or if you're inside of the U.S., as long as you have a U.S.-based employer that says, I would like to bring this resource here to the U.S., I need this resource here in the U.S., then it could be a possibility if they're nominated for your program. So what is the best way for an individual, if I'm an individual, um, who potentially, let, let's say I have an employer and, and we're considering options, um, or if I am an employer who would like to understand if, if my employee potentially could qualify for this, what is the best way for them to initiate this conversation? Yeah. So two pathways. One is for foreign national individuals trying to learn more. Uh, you can go to our website and request more information, or you can email info at openavenuesfoundation.org and we'll send you a link to an information session and handouts that you can ultimately share with your employer or a future potential employer who wants to have a way to keep you in the United States or hire you in the United States outside of that lottery cycle and lottery system. So if you're an individual, contact us, we'll send you information. If you're a company that wants to learn more or an immigration attorney that wants to learn more, you can contact us directly and you will on our website be able to go to our company's page, either nominate a candidate and you will be sent a link to schedule time with our team. Mm -hmm. Or you can also contact us on the, the, via the uh, info at Open Avenues Foundation and we'll set up a consultation. Awesome. So we are meeting with companies that want to retain their talent. And I do think it's worth just explaining a little bit about what that partnership looks like, because it's confusing. No one wants to just work for a, you know, one of the biggest challenges, Robert, about the cap exempt H-1B, I'm sure when people are coming to you and, and asking about this option is that really what foreign nationals want and what companies want is to, is to have the individuals working for the, the biotech company. They want to continue mm -hmm. to work for the full-time employer. They don't want to go find new employment at a nonprofit research institution or work for a university. They want to work in industry and they want to work for those, those private companies. Mm -hmm. And the way that we offer an opportunity to companies to enable them to keep their foreign nationals working full-time is through what you mentioned before and I want to elaborate on, which is concurrent employment. 
And this is a concept where you can work part time for a cap exempt organization, whether it be open avenues, whether it be for a university or a nonprofit research institution or government research institution, mm -hmm. part time for one of these cap exempt organizations. And then the full time employer that's not cap exempt can file this concurrent cap exempt H1B. Mm. Why companies are contacting us. That's why mm -hmm. this is something that individuals can pitch to employers. It's because this isn't just a way for individuals to work with open avenues as an employee. It's a part-time opportunity to work with us so that mm -hmm. foreign nationals can work full-time for the companies they really want to be contributing to. And I, uh, I shared the openavenuesfoundation.org uh, forward slash contact um, link. And um, I typed in the wrong info. It's info at openavenuesfoundation.org for the email. And I, I shared that as well. Um, little plug here. If you do reach out and you've heard about Open Avenues through this session, please be sure to, to mention um, you heard about them from the H1B guy and, and this live session here with Danielle. Two things you said that I'm curious about, and I want to ask some like scenario-based questions. Um, the first one is, if I'm an individual in the UK and I am looking to come to the US, the first thing that I would need to do if this would be a, a valid avenue for me um, would be to have an employer who wants to put me into the program and also bring me on in some sort of capacity via the, the concurrent um, H-1B. The other scenario um, I, I think that I'm more interested in is what if I'm already living and working here in the U.S. under a different status? You mentioned OPT, but let's say I'm an L2 EAD, a dependent, I'm on a dependent EAD, employment authorization document. It, and I have an employer who says, you know, they're tied to their spouse. I'd like them to be completely separate. And I, I need an opportunity to have them um, be separate from their spouse so that there's no impact to me. Is that an option? If I'm in an alternate status like L2EAD approaching Open Avenues about a part-time, um, you know, cap exempt H1, and then potentially being under a concurrent H1 on that cap exempt working full-time for my current employer, is that absolutely. kind of the ideal scenario we're looking for here? Absolutely. We do change of status. We do. We file petitions with a change of status often from J1. You're right. L2 is one we've mm -hmm. seen a few times. H4 is a very yep. common status that we will do a change of status from. You know, there's so many talented individuals who have spouses here that just weren't able to get an H1B employer right away or lost the lottery and were forced to go into H4. But mm -hmm. those individuals who right now are, you know, sitting around for no reason other than they can't get an H-1B because they've lost the lottery. This is absolutely a pathway to get into H-1B status and contribute to the economy in which they're living. Right. Uh, wildly beneficial for the U.S. to have those individuals be contributing. Yeah. But the biggest thing, and this is where I just want to drive home this to anyone who's watching or listening, is that having the employer is the key. Yes. Um, the uh, open avenues is not an option for you if, if you're not currently working or you don't have an employer who says, I need this individual resource and is willing to, to request, um, you know, the, the program, the, uh, 
for for the the cap exempt process and so that's the biggest key is you can be in opt or l2 or h4 um but having that employer or if you're located outside of the us you don't even have a status you still have to have the employer and if you initiate the request the employer has to be willing to submit um the the acceptance into the program and in, in order for this to be an option so i just want to make sure that was was clear because i think it's really important to understand who are your target demographics and what's the process because those are questions that we're always going to get and, and making sure that that's clearly put out there um wanted to just uh, really quickly mention we would like to do a q a here at the end of the session so if you um, have any questions please drop those um, in the chat, and I will do my best to, to make sure we have some time here at the end of our um, our discussion to get to those. Uh, if you haven't already, please make sure you like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, um, and click the bell for notifications so you're notified anytime we go live, like I have here today uh, with Danielle a little after 2 p.m. on Wednesday, May the 3rd. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about 2023 and what's changed for you guys i mean i think demand on the lottery is probably something that um should help uh, in terms of your overall business and and opportunity to provide um you know alternatives for individuals but what's changed for open avenues in 2023 so far yeah wow we had no idea what to expect this year and i think a lot of companies had were we're thinking that this was actually given layoffs, given the economy, that this year was actually going to be easier to to win the, the or get selected in this H-1B lottery. And mm -hmm. man, were we wrong. Um, mm -hmm. There were so many more registrants this year, upwards of 750,000 registrants into the lottery that's still capped at 85,000. So of course, that means that companies are coming to open avenues for a solution. We're now growing the program at a rate that we, you know, had hoped potentially to, to grow up, but really couldn't have imagined this year. So we are opening um, more positions. We don't have a cap on how many um, mm -hmm. nationals we can take into this program. Frankly, for us, it's about university demand, how mm -hmm. many universities we're partnered with and how many foreign nationals they would like to be contributing. It is endless. <laughs> Our university mm -hmm. partners are getting so much out of the programming that we're bringing. Mm -hmm. More than 600 students, American students in uh, STEM and business fields, all driven by the foreign nationals who contribute to our programming. And so we're ready to grow. We're ready to take on fellows who are going to spend the five hours contributing to our to our partner universities. And we're bringing on more university and college partners, specifically mm -hmm. community colleges, who mm -hmm. are really interested in getting access to the amazing talent and companies. So that's where we're at this year. Um, last year at this time, we were not taking bachelor's candidates. Um, we are taking bachelor's candidates now. So anyone who had that, okay. in, that's a 2023 change. Oh, that's huge though, right? Because that, at that point, that opens the field, I'd say, to you know those H4s and L2s that may only have a, a bachelor's versus somebody that, that has a US master's. Um, Something that you said interesting. You said you mentioned the seven hundred and fifty, right, for for the lottery. And um, our 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 mutual friend uh, Sophie Alcorn was on with me back in February, and uh, her and I played a guess the amount of registrations game. And the 
interesting thing is that she said 375 i said 400,000 well both of our answers combined still didn't get to the 780,000 registrations that that USCIS received and very clearly the system is broken um very clearly it needs reform past what we've seen but this is where we have to find alternatives yeah. and one of the things i've learned about high skilled immigrants is that they are resilient and the more options that we can make them aware of, such as what your program offers, um, is, is really the key. Knowledge is power. Um, the other thing you, you talked about, universities, community colleges. If you are a, um, a university or community college, you may be consuming this, watching or listening to this uh, at a later date. Uh, same avenues apply to you if you're interested in seeking out how Open Avenues Foundation could be a benefit to you. Um, through the, the open avenues foundation.org forward slash contact and also the info at open avenues foundation.org. Um, absolutely reach out because there is a huge benefit in this program. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, 600 plus type resources, that's significantly large. The larger number, though, Danielle, that I think you would be interested in and has been speculated about is US based. U.S. educated, advanced degree, master's degree individuals that come to the U.S., get a master's degree, and then end up having to self-deport. Yeah. And there's a lot of different data out there. Um, you know, my gut instinct has always been, I'd imagine that number to be around 20,000 individuals annually that self-deport based on a failed lottery or OPT expiration, EAD, um, OPT STEM expiration. That number's staggering. And you mentioned innovation, going back to one of the things you learn from your, your dad growing up, how important innovation and technology is. And, you know, that's the thing that I, I think about what you guys do that's most interesting to me is you're working within the way the law works, right? You are doing something that is a benefit not only to the individual, but to those universities and research institutions, as well as for-profit employers on the other side. Correct. It's meant to be a win-win-win. Uh, we designed this within the intention of Congress because Congress deemed four types of organizations cap-exempt because they were adding unique value to society. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to remain within that intention. And so all of the work that we do, yes, it benefits companies. Of course, they get to keep their foreign nationals. It's allowing foreign talent who are highly skilled to stay in the U.S. They've already invested, many of them, in a U.S. education and learned from our best professors around the country. And we're, we're also benefiting universities and students mm -hmm. who are gaining so much from connecting to this top talent and to the highest you know, and fastest growing companies around the country that are working with open avenues to keep their key talent. So... Are there any types of particular skill sets that that are preferable, like software engineers, or is it really kind of open if, you know, maybe I'm in talent acquisition? Does does that matter for you guys? It does matter. We we started off in STEM and in business. And obviously that's pretty broad in itself, but it's not all inclusive. So okay. we are working, you know, the most common fields we see are biotechnology and uh, software development, data science. We have a lot of folks who are in finance and in marketing. 
Uh, we'll, we've worked with graphic designers, urban planners. So it is comprehensive and there's a lot of room. But first and foremost, you must have a strong case for a specialty occupation. You right. have to have a degree aligned with the work that you're doing at your company. Mm -hmm. And then we would consider you for a fellowship at Open Avenues. But mm -hmm. you would never take someone on if they have a you know degree in English, but they want to go work as a software developer. And that means they wouldn't qualify for an H-1B anyway in the U.S. A cap-exempt right. H-1B is no different. Right. Yeah, the the, the requirements for the state uh, are the same when we start talking about the specialty occupation categories and what those are in order to qualify for for an H one B. That's a that's a great point, and sometimes I think that gets um, a little bit construed because you're talking about the not for profit, and and when you hear that, a lot of times the tech component can be removed, and we get into more of the the researchers and the the data and the analytics piece and you know you mentioned even graphic design there there's a specialty occupation there yeah. um but but it's a matter of how do you qualify and as you mentioned degree is is an important qualification in that the type of degree um type of experience that that you previously hold as well is is mm -hmm. super important um just wanted to mention again uh we've got a few more questions here for danielle but if you have questions for danielle or myself please drop those in the chat um, we'll try to make sure that we take a few minutes here at the end of today's stream to uh, to answer any questions that that you guys may have. Um, what are you seeing, or what are you thinking is going to 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 look like for the rest of your your twenty twenty three? Are are you are you foreseeing more demand, kind of based on um, you know everything that we've been talking about so far? Do you predict the demand for um, you know, cap exempt is only going to continue to grow as long as, you know, we're sitting at, at this 85,000 on, on the non-exempt side. What do you foresee uh, kind of the rest of, of 2023 for you guys? And, and maybe even heading into next year, which, you know, not to get political, but is an election year. And, um, you know, in the previous election year, immigration was at the forefront and then fizzled right after the election happened. Um, do you do you foresee any changes in, in immigration policy going forward and, and how will that impact you guys for the rest of, of 2023? Yeah, so I'll start with open avenues. So right now, there's no doubt that we need to be able to provide this solution for companies that are scrambling for, for solutions for top talent. The country will lose innovators and experts and it will hurt companies if we can't step up and figure out how we offer this solution more widely and at a faster pace and we're going to meet that demand so that's our goal for this year um we hope to bring on hundreds of fellows into our program mm -hmm. who can continue to stay and grow their own companies or or grow companies that they're working for so that's our plan that means expanding the specialty occupation categories that we currently have uh, we had received a high demand for lawyers um, mm. who are currently struggling and, and they want to stay in the United States. We're trying to figure out how we continue to offer this. We're seeing a, a demand for, for there's talent gaps in the U.S. for nurses, talent gaps for veterinarians. So we're, we're learning about where the talent gaps in the U.S. are and where we desperately need talent. And we hope to help fill those gaps. Um, by helping talent create, you know, by creating these pathways for talent to come and really meet the, the labor shortages where they are. And so that's that's part of our planning. In terms of policy and U.S. policy, 
I don't think that the that the that there's going to be right before the election that they're that the Democrats are going to push to change the number of eighty five thousand and, and mm-hmm. increase that. I also think that cap exempt H one B visas will be necessary to meet the demands until that eighty five thousand cap is changed. I think that given the fraud allegations uh, surrounding the lottery system and the way that individuals are entered into the lottery, I think it's possible that action is taken by government agencies within their mandate and within their power to adjust Mm -hmm. the way the lottery works. Mm -hmm. And that could mean that companies, you know, if instead of counting um, registrations by the, the companies that enter them and allowing foreign nationals to be entered by multiple companies, it might be a headcount. Um, and foreign nationals can only be entered by one company. And that would be a really significant shift. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about ramifications of that, for better or for worse, we can discuss <laughs> later. But um, that's that's one thing I think could shift. And it would change the chances that people have within the lottery. Mm-hmm. But I don't, it, there will still be high demand. For that's right. It's not that's going right. to no, it's not going to go away, and and it's not going to go away until there's really an overhaul to the to the way they're the the non exempts are are assigned out, and um, some of the best reform I, I've seen is is been surrounding you know individuals that are U.S. master's degrees that are currently working in a full time role, and how those allocations would would go about, but. Wanted to see if you maybe had a recent success story that you could share. I, I know audience always loves to, to hear about kind of something recent that, that came up that's a tangible success story. Anything off the top of your, your mind that you'd like to share? Yeah, I you know, there's oh my gosh, well we with 80 fellows coming out in the last year all working in, in these awesome fields, there's so many things I could talk about. Um, I want to give one example of a company uh, we worked with in the past because I think it's a really tangible example of what we do and then something that just happened recently. But for, you know, in the past we worked with, with, for example, a mechanical engineer from Germany working at an MIT Media Lab uh, 3D printing company that's getting Mm -hmm. off the ground. And he was critical. He was the first engineer that they hired and he lost the H-1B lottery and was going to have to leave. He was literally physically building their their 3D printing machines. He could not work from abroad. So the company contacted us and we put him through our uh, fellowship program. And he ended up printing testing swabs for COVID um, during the pandemic and after they continued to grow and are now on series B funding. And he was in it and they're hiring tens and tens of, of employees now who are Americans. And he, mm. will, you know, because he was able to stay and continue to grow that company, that was just so essential for the company's institutional growth and, and establishing themselves here and many people getting testing swabs during COVID. Uh, so that's that's a really good example. You know, one of the things I've talked about for many years here on this platform is um, for every H-1B employee, it creates about 2.83 jobs is the estimation. Not quite three, but 2.83 if we're getting really into the, the granular. And here's an individual in your scenario and, and success story that created is creating dozens of jobs. Yep. 
right? And the impact on that organization for that individual that 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 they have is so significant that um, it creates more jobs. And that's one of the things that I think is the the unspoken truth of why H-1B visas still have extremely high value um, outside of the fraud allegations and everything that goes into it. There still is real tangible examples of where H-1B visas not only help organizations thrive and survive, but create jobs for more Americans. And that's the piece that I think sometimes gets lost um, when we talk about and cover the H-1B visa to the extent that, that I do here. Couldn't agree more. And the founders, I mean, this is, you know, some people feel trapped in their jobs because of H-1B and they feel they're in OPT with, you know, Microsoft or Apple or with a company and feel that they can't go explore their own path because they can't get an H-1B visa. But that's not true. Actually, founders can sponsor themselves for an H-1B through their company if they set their company up appropriately and ownership and there's control and there's ways to do it. So the mm -hmm. door's not closed for founders. And the we just brought on two founders who started companies in the U.S. and were trying to fundraise from outside the U.S. and really needed to get here to grow their companies and get them off the ground. Uh, and this was an awesome way for them to, uh, you know, come here. And now they're hiring and, and growing and fundraising. And they're working part time to teach students about entrepreneurship and how to get a company off the ground. So it's wow. just a really exciting model. And that seed that they're planting for another generation right yeah. is is kind of the other piece of that that innovation in tech that that we we would miss out on um and you look at overall international student numbers are, are on the decline um they're increasing in canada there's a reason why they're increasing in canada and on the, the decline here in the us is because we oh, yeah. don't make it we don't make it easy um it's a very complicated system it's one that there are no guarantees to and a lot of times your time here is is absolutely finite um i think we've had about 50 folks join us so far danielle uh, i know we've only got a few minutes left here so wanted to just kind of put it out one more time if you have any questions for us um danielle you've done a great job explaining it i think a lot of times when it's very clear and concise how this works uh the questions are are sometimes minimal um but if there are questions of course you can always reach out to me directly um after the stream and i can get you in touch with danielle a, a call to action again just going to bring up that link um openavenuesfoundation.org forward slash contact um and there's a little form you go in and you just put your name your email and, and message be sure to let them know you, you heard about them from the H1B guy. Um, and then here is, if you want to email directly, it's info at openavenuesfoundation.org. Um, please don't hesitate to reach out to Danielle if you're curious and you think this may be a good viable option for you. I know a lot of you who I've been talking to over the last couple of months, this is absolutely a viable option for you. And I always like to say, like, leave no stone unturned please um, connect with the folks at Open Avenues. And if the answer is, look, doesn't look like it's a possibility, at least you can cross that variable off your list. It's it's so important to um, to be able to do that and know what options you do have and how can you extend your, your time here in the U.S. Danielle, do you have any questions for me? I've literally put you on the hot seat for 30 minutes. Is there anything you want to ask me while well, we've got just a couple of minutes left here? 
I would love your take. I'd love to reverse the question you asked me about where you see everything going with the immigration landscape, given what's happening. And, yeah. you know, these, I think these fraud allegations are just really fascinating because it's, it's not, I mean, it actually is legal. Correct. And for multiple not, times. So I think it'd be important to clarify to this group yeah. what they're even questioning. To me, the biggest thing is the unforeseen shift that occurred when USCIS went to the electronic registration portal and the $10 non-refundable registration fee versus requiring the full application filing fees on the front end that was written in a manual check and prepared and delivered on April 1st. When they shifted in, in 2020, and it was a very quiet shift because it, it happened right in the height of when the quarantines were starting. So it was really interesting. And it kind of was like this blip that happened. And then we heard these things about, oh, a second lottery, which was like end of July, August timeframe in, in 2020. And then cycle to 2021, where they held not one, not two, but three lotteries. They made a point last year. and. 275,000 registrations, 308,000 registrations. Last year, 483,000 registrations, but USCIS decided to select 127,000. And so that's why I was really curious about what the numbers were going to look like this year. I, I, I speculated last year, I thought we'd get close to a half of a million. The fact that we went to three quarters of a million is is absolutely fascinating and a lot of that on the backs of knowing that the registration fee is going to increase to 215 dollars to me that's still not enough it, it it's it, the value of the visa in and of itself is so much higher than that 215 dollar non-refundable fee it just is and so to me there's a couple shifts that need to happen if they want to curb the the multiple registrations and the biggest thing to me is allow folks that are already living and working in the U.S. access to the, the, the allotment first. And that may sound crazy, but I think we have to look at how do we protect our own interests. And that's really mm -hmm. folks that are already living and working here in the U.S., whether you're on an OPT, an L2, an H4, um, allowing them that access and doing that not only through as you mentioned kind of company numbers allowing companies to acquire a certain cap maybe based on their overall employees but also a wage line to that as well and so i think to me increasing the registration fee to even a thousand dollars i don't know if that's enough but i think that would hit that's going to hit the smaller um, basement shops, as I like to call them, companies that are run out of our friend's basement that are sponsoring H-1Bs, that will cut them out completely. But it's still not going to curb the, the, the hundreds of thousands of applications. And so is it fraud? Depends on how you look at it and want to define fraud. Are they operating within the way the law currently reads, which is to say m me as an individual um, the only time I have options is to see how many employers I can get to sponsor me and see who I get selected because my odds are below 20%. That's where the shift needs to happen. It, to me, it's, it's folks who are already living and working in the U.S. who are U.S. educated and have full-time employment first, wages second, and then kind of the company caps around that third because that to me is, is, is where we're heading 
and increasing the registration fee even maybe to a thousand dollars versus this 215 that that we could see next year um i think that those would be the steps in the right direction mm. it's not gonna it's not gonna solve the problem as is because really the only way to solve the problem as is is to create an entirely new work authorization status um, i refer to it here on this platform as the h1b ead which is kind of similar to to gts that that's in Canada that gives you kind of these two year um, increments where you can live and work under, you know, GTS uh, indefinitely. And I think that's the thing when we look at the limits around the H1B is that it, it caps at six years and we have the caps on the green card, right? 140,000 green cards for employment based preferences and only 7% to a specific country is is the max and so that creates backlogs when you look at india and china because 90 percent of h1b visas are awarded to individuals from india and china the number's staggering but the global reach for talent that is looking for h1b visas here in the u.s is really the bigger piece that folks from central and south america from all over europe and asia not just india and china their primary way to come to the U.S. as a high-skilled immigrant is the H-1B visa. Right. It is the number one avenue. And so answering your question, it's more than just one fix. Yeah. And I think it's going to require not only um, executive actions, but it's going to require legislative actions. It's going to require both. Um, I do feel like I, I bang on USCIS a lot here on this platform because they're bureaucratic and their incompetencies. But I do feel like we've seen some emphasis on reducing processing times and trying to increase awareness as much as possible um, a, around where applications stand. We've seen a lot of that. So I'm hopeful that there's more transparency there. But 780,000 registrations. We're talking yeah. about 7.8 million reasons why USCIS doesn't need to change the system as is. Right. No, completely. I think it's uh, the idea of increasing fees is a great first step and frankly, an easy one and wildly beneficial for the agency and for, for you know, Department of Homeland Security. And, and I think that there, there's huge benefits to, to for the government and in, in deciding to go down that path. It was interesting that Trump proposed, you know, during his presidency about a merit based yeah system which the would... cotton bill as i refer to it as is senator tom cotton from from arkansas was the one that that put it out there yeah and and the, you know even the lottery system having a priority uh just prioritizing higher wages or individuals who are receiving higher wages from companies is a is you know one way to to start to create structure around the system itself and reduce the number of mm -hmm. the the work the shops that are essentially mm -hmm. helping IT workers enter the lottery multiple times or whatever these flaws in the system may be that are preventing some of the top talent from you know getting these slots in the lottery. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely I don't know if that'll be get come back on the table. It really hurts startups and it really yes. hurts nonprofits that aren't cap exempt because that's right we're going to pay the wages that are necessary and we work with a lot of those companies and they're getting off the ground and they have amazing mm -hmm. technologies they just can't compete with amazon and google and so actually i think there would be reverse there would be negative ramifications if it mm -hmm. were solely a merit-based system but i really i do think that there's something to be said for 
the what you're discussing, which the wages and the thing about the wages and and I've, I've covered this a lot and pontificated a lot about it, but it's wages based on level two of experience. So you have uh, wage level one, two, three, and four, skill level one, two, three, and four. So you would basically designate 25% in each of the skill levels and then base that on wages and base it on uh, the, their MSAs, that metropolitan statistical area. Gets complicated, but the system is electronic. Yeah. So that's where it comes into like the data doesn't lie, collect the data on the front end and then sort it and then make those selections kind of through that and, and give a stack ranking and in, in the way that it's assigned out. Um, but I could talk about this for hours. Uh, you know, it's one, one of the things somebody asked me like, why, why do you do this? And I've always come back and said, look, I want, everyone to understand what their options are. If you're already in the U.S., know what your options are. If you're considering coming to the U.S., you need to understand the, the roadblocks, the trials and tribulations that you're going to face. But I'm very passionate about talent and equality and innovation here in this country and leaving it better than I found it. And so that's why I have this voice and this platform and um, I love talking about it and I love having people on like you who are so extremely intelligent. Um, I've been so fortunate to, to interview, um, you know, over 25, 30 people now here on, on this, this channel. And every time I have somebody on, including yourself, um, I learned something new and I learned that there's like so many brilliant people that, that live and work in this country and trying to provide avenues so that we can continue that expansion is, is so important. So um, I will put in the video description, your LinkedIn uh, profile too, for folks that want to send you a LinkedIn connection. Um, I've already got the open avenues uh, foundation.org forward slash contact in the video description. I'll put the email in there too, after the video goes yep. live. Um, but feel free to um, or Danielle, if you have any questions, um, please connect with open Avenue and they're on Twitter, uh, Instagram. They have a great YouTube channel with some really valuable content there as well. Um, so please go, uh, go follow, subscribe, like all their stuff and, uh, um, let them know you found them uh, from, from the H1B guy. So, uh, Danielle, with that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and close this out and remind everyone that, um, brought to you by Syndesis and Pat to Canada, the audio plan B for high school immigrants currently located in the U S uh, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Join the squad. Of course, links to all of our uh, sponsors and partners is also in the video description below. Um, Danielle, thanks for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I'd like to make this maybe an annual thing. Um, if, if, if we can, I think this is a, a good timing once the lottery's concluded and data comes out, uh, for us to, to, to continue this conversation. Um, so more from us and, and open avenues going forward. Anything you'd like to add before, uh, before I close this? No, just happy to geek out with you on H1Bs anytime and super fun to be here. I have immense respect for what you're doing. Getting quality information out is the most important thing in the immigration space. And uh, that's why I 
am here as well, uh, just representing the truth about what's what's happening in in this world. So yep, know your options, right? What what are your alternatives for? Uh, as I believe you say, you know, global solutions for global talent or H one B solutions for global talent. You know, and that's the the, the key to it all is um, know what your options are, and then you can you can make your own decisions based on that. So thank you again so much. Um, just one last time, please like this video, subscribe to the H one B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we did here today on May 3rd uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern. For those of you who have stayed with us this long, thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, watch this live stream. Or if you're listening to this on the H1B Guy podcast, thank you so much there uh, to all of our listeners over on the H1B Guy podcast. Um, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Join my Telegram. Channel. Uh, I'm the H1B guy, your global source for all things H1B.